Uh, so hi, I'm uh, Scott Brinker. Uh, I am the editor of the chiefmartech.com blog and uh, the person known for this crazy MarTech landscape uh, that's been produced over the past, oh boy, since 2011, uh, growing from a couple hundred MarTech solutions that we knew to, boy, as of recently, more than uh, 13,000. So the primary result I got from this is, initially it was just me learning and understanding the industry, which indirectly helped me a lot uh, in being able to drive my business uh, as a SaaS uh, entrepreneur, uh, and then ultimately open up new career opportunities in launching a MarTech conference and uh, the job I currently have at HubSpot with their platform ecosystem. It, um, it really took, a, the strategy behind this was really to be able to help non-technical marketing leaders appreciate just the scale of technology that was now at their disposal for leveraging, for delivering the sorts of outcomes that they were increasingly responsible for in this uh, uh, more and more like, uh, you know, digital world. So um, it started with just me uh, as one person. It, uh, uh, over the years, I started to bring other collaborators in to help. Uh, we moved from just doing this as a PowerPoint slide to eventually doing something that was a database-driven application that now has a small team uh, of uh, like data scientists and programmers who are helping us constantly analyze new submissions uh, and uh, bring them to life there. It's a strategy that I think other companies or other entrepreneurs can certainly lean on to as you look at so many different industries or sub-industries where the market is actually not well understood. People don't understand what are the different categories, what are the different players. And by mapping this out and becoming the source of truth for how people understand the industry, first of all, it gives you an advantage to like really look and understand opportunities for where you might grow your business. Where is the white space? Where are the, th uh, you know, things. But it also increases a credibility that then as you do additional go-to-market motions, you really have the benefit uh, of being the uh, the expert uh, in that particular capability. And in a world where there's so much content noise and everyone's publishing a ton of things, to have the reputation of being the expert in the field where you're trying to grow your business can be enormously advantageous. If that resonates with you, listen along. Also, check out our other episodes. You're listening to TNDR, the B2B SaaS growth podcast brought to you by Spear Growth. The goal of the podcast is to enable you, our listeners, to generate an additional $100,000 in cumulative pipeline by May 2024. To do this, we bring people who have made a real impact in their companies. They cut through the fluff and dive deep into one tactic or strategy of theirs. I'm your host, Ishan. Let's generate pipeline. Hi, Scott. So thank you so much for... Um coming in this is the second time i'm interviewing you before this i think we also spoke once in another podcast that i was hosting before this so again it's always a pleasure to speak with you oh well thanks for having me back uh yeah great to be here with you perfect so scott uh almost everyone knows you like anyone who's listening to this should know you and if they haven't could you maybe give them a two-line introduction of just like yourself your journey just very quickly and then we'll or just jump into what we've been discussing yeah sure so i wear two hats uh i'm the editor of the chief martech blog which primarily known for 
uh, curating that massive marketing technology landscape here over the past 14, 15 years. Uh, and then I'm also the uh, vice president of platform ecosystem at HubSpot. Awesome. So let, let's uh, dig into it, right? So you've been publishing this th since 2011. And th that's a very interesting thing about that is every other marketing strategy or tactic or whatever you want to call it that I've always in interviewed someone for is usually associated with a company or a business or it's a personal freelance thing. It's, it's associated with something. In your case, I think it's moved from being associated with you personally to maybe like jobs and then to your business. So how do you think about that? Like, yeah. So I will say when I first started working on this, it was purely a passion project. Mm -hmm. I was just very interested in trying to understand what was happening in this MarTech space. Um, but as I published this and as I was able to keep coming back to it and grow it, so many other people found it useful and interesting that it definitely grew my influence. And this, this helped me in a couple different ways. You know, so when I first was publishing it, I was the co-founder and CTO of a SaaS business. Um, you know, it gave me a lot of opportunities to get uh, interviews, uh, presentations, which all became opportunities to also get the brand of our SaaS company, you know, into discussions. Uh, over time, this led to uh, me actually launching the MarTech conference, uh, which became a, uh, yeah, actually a fairly successful uh, yeah. business venture. Uh, I've since moved on from that, uh, but that was a direct, uh, uh, you could see a direct through line from, you know, this creation of this landscape to helping to organize a community around the different participants and subscribers to that. Uh, and then ultimately, it led to things like uh, the position I currently have at HubSpot, you know, part of why I got this position is as HubSpot was looking to hire someone who could help orchestrate HubSpot's integration with the rest of the MarTech yeah. landscape. Well, okay, uh, who knows the most about the MarTech yeah. landscape? Um, you know, so all these things over time, yeah, contributed to, uh, you know, certainly building like a business value, both to me personally and to the businesses I've been associated with. But yeah, it did start out uh, intentionally that way. That's extremely interesting. I've never heard of because usually if you start a marketing channel and then the company ends or you move on, you leave the channel at the company and you go to the next, right? This is very interestingly, it's part of your personal brand, which just moves from company to company. Do you have anything else uh, that you do that is similar to this that's just been with you in your entire journey? Well, so the writing of the blog that I do at chiefmartech.com yeah. with this is a little bit similar too, because, you know, the, the MarTech landscape is always an interesting conversation starter, yeah. but you could actually, <laughs> I'll admit the utility of the landscape itself is relatively small, right? Because, I mean, there's just so much there that it, it's interesting to see. It's interesting to both appreciate the scale of the industry, uh, the vibrancy in which it like continues to evolve, you know, yeah. but it's not in a format that, shall we say, is particularly useful for like, okay, yeah. what do I do with this exactly? Um, you know, versus like the work I do in, you know, writing on chiefmartech.com is actually trying to provide more explanatory direction to people of like, okay, yeah. if they're a MarTech business, how do they think about, you know, building and growing that? If they're a, a marketing organization that's adopting this technology, yeah. you know, how do they think about that?
that's also because i think i remember when we discussed last time and we were discussing topics for this time the couple of like your area of expertise or the thing that you want to talk about is the marketing industry and mapping it out is now it seems like an obvious thing to pick up but it definitely would not be obvious back when you started so i i know you mentioned that hey this was something that you were doing for yourself to learn and the worst case scenario is that you understand the industry better and then you're able to take better decisions but was there a a different thought process when earlier when you were doing this yeah i mean again i did it I, when I first came up with uh, the version in 2011, I had been writing the Chief Martech blog for uh, a few years at that point. And admittedly, it was a relatively small audience, but it was an audience of people who were interested in the way technology was changing, you know, the strategy and the operations of marketing organizations. Um, and so, you know, when I first came up with it, yeah, part of it was, you know, again, for my own uh, just developing my own understanding of what the heck was going on here. Um, but I had in mind that, oh, there is an audience of other people who are interested, you know, in this. And so they would perhaps find this interesting and valuable too. What I didn't fully appreciate was the original audience I was anticipating that would be relevant to was a pretty small group. But there's something about visuals that, I mean, not all visuals, but every now and again, there's a visual that goes out there that it 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 becomes a little bit viral, becomes a little bit. People are like, oh wow, that you know, <laughs> it captures the imagination or it captures something you know that causes people to you know uh, stop and like, wait, what is this? Um, and so that ended up becoming that, uh, and then you know, it it brought tremendous growth to the blog, and then all of the other things I benefited from around that. Interesting. So uh, let's say when you when you started, can you walk us through more of the, on the operational end of, hey, when you just started this, uh, maybe walk us through the phases of the actual implementation, the team behind. And I know it's obviously sort of changed over the years, but then what does that look like? Yeah. So, I mean, originally it was me starting with the idea of the categories. What are the different kinds of marketing technology that marketers use? Because I wanted to show that there's a, there's a wide variety uh, of things. It's not just like, oh, I have a marketing automation system or I have a CRM. Yeah, you probably do. But increasingly, even like, you know, a decade ago, there were a lot of other things that people were starting to bring in. Um, and then what I did in the early iterations was basically pretended I was an obsessive compulsive marketer who's like, okay, for this category, what are all my possible choices? You know, and I would go into Google, I'd be looking at, you know, who was sponsoring different conferences for marketers mm -hmm. in that space, you know, and I'd start to collect them. And when I, you know, published the first version, and this has happened every year since then too, is, okay, I published it based on all the companies that I had been able to discover. But when I shared it out with the community, of course, this then created people saying, well, you missed this one. Or, you know, like uh, someone else who's actually running a MarTech company in that category is like, hey, why aren't we on this list? I'm like, okay, well, like, give me your information. Tell me what you do. Um, you know, so it started as a very, very manual process. As it grew over time, I started to work with other collaborator collaborators who were both helping me find and collect and vet, uh, you know, yeah. who was on that map. Um, uh, yeah, to the place where we are today now managing like well over 10,000 of these, 
uh, yeah, where we have a site where we collect this information. We have a team that does a very rigorous process of evaluating them. Uh, we're constantly going back to see like, okay, which ones are still around, you know, which ones have churned away. Um, so it has become a small production at this point, but yeah, it started with a single PowerPoint slide, really. Wow. And uh, if, if you can share, how many people are there in the team that just works on this? And, you know, like from a pure of execution standpoint, if you're open to sharing this, right? So what does the team look like? How long does it like, does it take, it probably take months, right? So, and it's now ongoing. Yes. Um, it's a year round effort. Um, okay. So there's, there's probably three categories, uh, four categories of folks involved in this. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Franz, uh, uh, has become my co-collaborator on this, uh, over the past couple of years. And so we Mm -hmm. jointly architect the whole thing now. Um, we then work with a bunch of other like contributors, uh, so companies mm-hmm. like G2 and Clearbit, um, Cabinet M, uh, you know, is another, you know, basically other companies that are also collecting data in the space. We've developed data sharing arrangements with them. Uh, Franz has also done a really good job of building up a collection of other contributors who specialize in particular regions throughout the world, you know, so people who are in the, you know, uh, say the German market, you know, who really know far better than, you know, I would, or even he would, you know, uh, the different German MarTech companies that are out there. Because it turns out actually within these different regions, there are a lot of actually very successful regional-based MarTech companies. And then uh, we've established a small group. It's probably about, I mean, there's a couple lead folks, but, you know, probably a team collectively of about five or six, you know, that go through this process of, uh, you know, systematically evaluating them. We're applying some, you know, fun machine learning algorithms to look at like contents on the website and help us in the judgments for, okay, which category is this particular MarTech really, you know, well, and uh, I'll, I'll be very honest, right? The process is by no means perfect um uh, it is not the world's most accurate view but it approximates i think in a pretty decent way interesting so um so you have a team of uh, i I think you said five folks and then there's also a lot of partnerships other people that you brought in which is there are martech vendors or data tech vendors the way uh, how you want to call them and then there's also other people who specialize in certain regions that's very interesting so you've, you've doubled down on this. Is there anything else? Because obviously this is not the only thing that you do all around the year. Right? So is, is there, are there other pieces of content, other such resources that you put as much effort into? Also? I wouldn't say as much effort. This is a pretty, uh, yeah, big production, you know, but like a couple of other things over the years that we've done that have definitely become popular and grown like one of the things we do is uh, something we call the stackies uh you know which is every year we ask marketers to send in a slide that illustrates how they think of their martech stack the different tools they're using how they think Mm -hmm. about organizing it um we've been doing this now for man eight years now um uh it is amazing to me like we've had brands from like you know i mean companies like you know microsoft and you know cisco and um you know uh, leading banks and all these folks around the world who have actually taken time to like map these stacks out do them often in a very uh, creative visualization 
uh, and then share it to the community. And then every year we have a bit of an award ceremony around that and we publish it. And I always think of it as a very nice compliment to the MarTech landscape because, well, the MarTech landscape is, yeah, just yeah. this sort of vast sea of, well, what are all the things that are out there? These uh, MarTech stackies is a chance for you to see like, okay, for real companies like a Philips or something like this, mm -hmm. what are the technologies that they use? How do they think about them? And it, it I don't know, it, it, in many ways, I like it better than the landscape uh, because it yeah. feels like it connects more to real world use cases. And so many yeah. marketers have these questions of like, well, what does a good stack look like? And, you know, oh, so that's what yeah. these companies are doing. You know, they don't necessarily have to copy that exactly, but it becomes these different reference yeah. points, you know, that help them, you know, think about how they might evolve their own stack too. Yeah, I, I want to geek out and ask all sorts of questions about like, you know, like how you've been running this, but I think more useful might be from an impl implementing standpoint. So there's, there's, let's say there's three, four things that are major pieces uh, or major uh, resources that you're sort of working on year over year. And then there are, there's a lot of blogs, which are also very, I, I love your blogs, by the way, especially when I want to understand the Martech space, where it's going a couple of ways you frame things are really interesting to me, uh, or it gives me a good way to think through things. But uh, so there's, there's a lot of blogs that you put a lot of thought into, uh, but they are relatively much smaller pieces than these larger resources. Um, so how do you, how do you decide like, like, I'm sure there must be other larger resources that you've initiated and then just stopped. Th there would be, well, right? Over I mean, years. it depends on how you look at the blog. So for mm -hmm. me, um, and actually, as I think about it, I mean, there are other major things I've done. Like, so I wrote the book, Hacking Marketing, uh, you know, that's become a worldwide yeah. bestseller. I think around 100,000 copies now at this point. Um, uh, I just recently co-wrote a book uh, with the team at Workado for the new automation mindset that's become a Wall Street Journal bestseller, you know, and so those are similar things where they, they tend to involve like a lot of production work. Yeah. Um, but I would say I also look at things like the blog as I don't measure its success based on the popularity of any one post. You know, for me, it's like, okay, the degree to which that has become a resource that Thank you for your kind compliment that, you know, a lot of people around the industry are like, okay, well, I might not read a ton of Scott Brinker articles like every week, but usually at least once or twice a year, I'm going there to like, see, you know, see what's happening, yeah. you know, and be able to read that. I, I sort of think in aggregate, you know, that's become, first of all, yeah. like where most of my work goes, uh, you know, at least for the chief MarTech stuff. And also I yeah. think a reasonable value, but you're right. Even if I looked at that total audience, it's still a fraction of probably the number of people who have like somehow got in that MarTech landscape. I think the value exchange is very different because yeah, landscape's interesting, but yeah. again, limited in its value that uh, you get from it, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, so just back to the question, were there other things that you maybe launched and then you were like, hey, probably this is something that I don't want to do again? And you maybe discount. Yeah. So like, well, with the success of those stankies, one of the mm -hmm. uh, variations I tried to pursue was like, okay, it's great to understand how people think about the evolution of their stack, 
could I get people mm -hmm. to share how they think about the evolution of their organization? You know, like the different roles and the processes and yeah. the way they work within that. Um, and the short answer is that did not <laughs> that did not catch on. Partly because I don't entirely know why people feel like they can share their tech stack and they don't consider that to be a proprietary, you know, knowledge. Or at least yeah. there's enough people out there who are comfortable sharing it that you know, we get it. Yeah. But it kind of makes sense when you think about it. Like once you start talking about your own organization structure and your own processes, now this becomes yeah. a little bit more of, you know, what a company considers it's, you know, a proprietary yeah. secret sauce. And some folks just aren't willing to share that, which in retrospect, I probably should have uh, anticipated that, but now I had to give it a try and that definitely did not work. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, that That's really interesting. So if, if someone had to, learn from this and implement it for a company's benefit for their cardio's benefit and obviously you probably wouldn't recommend starting with five large projects so how do you pick that one project to really put in time and also how long do you recommend hey at least give it this long or maybe in your case maybe share what happened in your uh, with with you yeah. I mean, it's hard because like, again, in some ways I've just being honest, I just feel like I kind of got lucky, uh, you know, with that particular landscape, um, you know, and it's one of the reasons why I actually always recommend to marketers that experimentation is to me the key to this. I was at Linus Pauling, you know, like the famous Nobel Prize winner. Yeah. He's like, he's asked like, well, what's the key to like, you know, having all these great ideas? And he's like, well, just come up with a lot of ideas, <laughs> you know, because if you try a lot of things, <laughs> you know, you're more likely that you'll find even a small subset, you know, that are good. Yeah. And I don't know, that really resonates with me um, because I think it's hard to predict at least I don't feel yeah. like I'm able to predict saying like, oh, if we do just this thing, that's going to take mm -hmm. off and go viral. You know, I think if you develop a mechanism where you have a thesis of like you're going after space that you think yeah. there's an opportunity to add value to your audience and do something interesting mm -hmm. to then be able to experiment with different ideas, see what the feedback is. And then when you find something that, hey, wait, people start to seem yeah. to be really interested in this then being able mm -hmm. to like double down on that and try and accelerate it. Um, I mean, I guess I'm not saying anything that any growth marketer would yeah. tell you, but. <laughs> oh, no. But, but I, I think um, what you're saying is, hey, you already know all of it, but people just don't do it. Because for example, at Sphere Growth, and I'll admit this, we've been, we've not been creating a lot of content. Like I post on LinkedIn, that does fairly well. We get a couple of clients from that. That's great for us. But then for us, I've never tried to create something even close or even like had the thought of creating something as something that we'll do regularly, put in the amount of effort and focus and resources that goes into something as large scale as this. So you would encourage folks or other companies to say, hey, like if you have the resources, go big and try something. Um, with an well, I mean, again, being fair, like the MarTech landscape, that first version I did, you know, when I was only around 150 products, it actually didn't take that long. I, 
not sure that I remember exactly, but it was certainly less than a week. Um, yeah. You know, uh, and then even the second one I did after that, you know, while it was growing, it was still somewhat yeah. modest. And so had I done the first one and nobody cared, I would have, I just wouldn't have continued. So actually the original investment wasn't that much. It was really only, mm-hmm. first of all, I got the feedback that people found it interesting, but then, you know, again, this is part of where the luck I think just came in is nobody, including yeah. me, expected that industry to explode. <laughs> in fact, actually quite yeah. the opposite. Almost everyone expected from the very beginning, it was just going to shrink, um, you know, yeah. so... Yeah. I, I don't know how you would predict <laughs> something like that in advance. Interesting. Th- that's actually, so maybe it'll work, maybe it won't, but it's not that big of an investment, essentially, at least to try it out. So even if you want to try a bunch of those, you could essentially try a few different angles to it. And if, it, if something, so if something does work, maybe we should just, do it again because you already saw that it worked because that's something that even if something for example if one content piece does well we say they're great let's make the next one do just as well and let's find the next content that does as well but very few people said okay can we recreate that just make it better again or even like show a growth a trend on an industry these are things that i've not seen a lot of folks do and i think that that's that's just not a normal way to look at because I've been a part of content teams uh, or I've spoken to a lot of content teams. We're an agency, so we've, we work with a lot of different people who work with content teams um, and we work closely with content heads and everyone's like, great, this piece did well. Let's find the next one that does as well. Or this is our top performer now, but it's never, I've never seen anyone start a conversation on redoing it. It's interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, again, it also probably depends on the nature of the content. Like, yeah. you know, is redoing it interesting? Like, is there enough of a change, um, you know, to uh, make that newsworthy? Uh, and again, like, if the MarTech landscape had not grown the way it did, I'm not mm-hmm. sure that, yeah, it, I mean, it, I, I suspect some people still would have found it interesting, but it would become almost yeah. like those, you know, like Gartner Magic Quadrants or Forrester Waves where like, yeah, they're out there. They're interesting. I look at it, but it's not like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, it was really the growth that, yeah. I, you know, yeah. again, I can't take credit for this. This is like just the industry like <laughs> went like total supernova. Um, yeah. and I just happened to be in the place of being the one who was like, you know, charting at that, but, um, <laughs> yeah, love it. So is, is there any question that I should have asked you or any stories that you could have shared around this that people should probably know about? You know, I think the one thing I just add in, uh, that was my, my big takeaway mm-hmm. from this, because I do see other content that yeah. other companies do that follow this similar pattern mm-hmm. is, a lot of the content you see out there is where people run a survey and they ask people how mm-hmm. they feel and then they publish that those results. And I'm not yeah. saying that those things aren't interesting, but they are so dependent on how are you asking the question? Who are you getting it to? What are their biases? How yeah. do they understand it? You know, and very often, like when we ask people, like in the case of MarTech, like, oh, well, 
you know, how many MarTech tools are you using? You know, people will be like, oh, we use two, um, you know. And then, like, uh, when you have things like some of those SaaS management platforms that people then connect and they're tracking actually all of their subscriptions, yeah. it turns out, no, they're not using two. They're using, like, 200, you know. Um, and so one of the things I've always appreciated about the MarTech landscape as an example of this, like, empirical data is if you ask people every single year around the MarTech landscape, is this going to grow or consolidate? You know, almost everyone, if you know, like the more expert they were, the more they're like, oh, it's going to consolidate. Yeah. Totally. Yep. You know, yep. and my take had always been like, well, maybe, maybe it will consolidate, but how about we just keep <laughs> looking at the data? Right. I mean, you know, and so yeah. this landscape every year being like an empirical data exercise of like, okay, I don't care what people think is going to happen. Here's what's actually happening. Um, and I think that's, that's powerful because there just isn't a lot of data out there on subjects yeah. that is truly empirical. And I think every now and again, like I see, you know, like a segment is a CVP, you know, they publish this. Snowflake just published some of this, like Workato publishes the kinds of automations that people are doing and who's doing it. And like anytime yeah. you can get to a place where you can share some sort of empirical data set that is an opinion, it's just the facts yeah. of like what's actually happening. I think you've got yeah. a unique value there that is more likely to break through the noise uh, than perhaps some of these other content techniques. I, I love that, that I already have a bunch of ideas. Hey, we could probably do this, this. It's just like, there's a lot of ideas in my head. So that really helped us. So just it at least helped me figure out, okay, what are some things I could do to maybe implement some or create something that a resource is so useful and obviously then generates a ton of business. Value. That sounds good. Well, I wish you the best of success on that. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, Scott, so if you had to pitch something, anything to the folks listening in, because I know you are part of HubSpot, you're doing MarTech, uh, <laughs> Chief MarTech, uh, there's the repos you build, what would you pitch and can you give us an elevator pitch of that? Uh, for the landscape or like anything? Anything, right? So usually at the end of the episode, usually a marketers are part of a company and then they pitch <laughs> the company. In your case, what should... Like, this is like speaking opportunities or... All right, uh, yeah. I mean, blog. my elevator pitch, uh, you know, on MarTech, investing in MarTech, investing in marketing operations people who can really help you with this, is this is how the world mm -hmm. operates. You know, everything now, like how we discover, you know, engage, deliver, delight, you know, build mm -hmm. relationships with customers... It is all being driven by these digital experiences and all the digital mechanics behind the scenes. This is what MarTech is all mm -hmm. about. You know, if you want to compete uh, here in uh, you know the modern world, you got to be really good at MarTech and marketing ops. Awesome. So, um, the, uh, I still am. Uh, so, I just the elevator page itself, right? Is usually to there's nothing that you want to sort of pitch in that, Hey, uh, maybe. Oh, like promote something. Uh... <laughs> okay. Uh, I would highly recommend people submitting 
a MarTech stack to the next 2024 stackies, you know, partly because it's a great contribution to the community, which we'd be very grateful for, but also because part of the reasons why marketers submit these stackies is it becomes a way for them to help recognize the vendors that they feel they're getting good service from and perhaps not recognize the ones that they don't. Uh, it also becomes a way for them to uh, attract talent, you know, as they're looking to bring on more like marketing and marketing operations talent. Yeah. You know, having one of these stackies out there becomes a way like, hey, this is what our brand is doing and how we're thinking about this. You mm -hmm. want to come and join us, yeah. you know? And uh, even more broadly, again, because these things get so shared, they're just, they are kind of, it's a little bit nerdy, but they're kind of a brand, you know, channel opportunity as well too. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Love that. Thank you so much for doing this. Again. <laughs> no, thanks for having me, my friend. Thank you for listening to the TLDR podcast. In case you're wondering, Spear Growth is a marketing agency. We help B2B SaaS companies like yourself with ads and SEO. Check out our website at speargrowth.com. That is S-P-E-A-R-G-R-O-W-T-H.com. Just like this, every episode starts with a one-minute summary of what we discuss. Pick the next episode to listen to based on what you can implement right away. And after you implement any of these tactics and see an impact, we'd appreciate you drop us a note on podcast at spiagrowth.com.